0: God is good. And uh, as uh, we've been talking about 21 days of prayer and fasting, we began the last uh, uh Monday, so we're half of the way, not half, a third of the way through, and we have uh, lots of prayer meetings so we can just press into God, and uh, it is sustainable for these three weeks to have all these extra services, Uh, and so I just encourage you to just jump in and uh, swim in the waters. The waters are deep, my friend, and God is there, and uh, it's just our privilege to be able to do this. Uh, Last Sunday, I talked about Abraham Lincoln and uh, his three calls for national times of prayer and fasting. Of course, that was during the Civil War and read some of his proclamations, calling the nation to fast and pray. And the Bible tells us in the book of Joel to sound the trumpet, call a solemn assembly, call a time of fasting and praying. And, And so as a pastor, I called our church to 21 days of seeking the Lord, of prayer and fasting. Fasting was part of the early church, I found this very interesting, in a manual of church instructions from the end of the first century, it says this, let not your faith be with the hypocrites, for they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but do your fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders fasted on Mondays and Thursdays and the early church did not want to be associated with those times of fasting and praying because Jesus considered uh, the Pharisees fasting and praying hypocritical remember the the story of the Pharisee that says I fast twice a week and I'm so thankful I'm not like these other people and uh, so the early church did not want to be associated with the the Pharisees type of fastings on those particular days Mondays and Thursdays and so they asked them to do it twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. John Calvin, in the 16th century, had this to say, good words about prayer and fasting. He says this, Let us say something about fasting, because many, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity, and some reject it as almost superfluous, while on the other hand, where the use of it is not well understood— it easily degenerates into superstition. Holy and legitimate fasting is directed to three ends. For we practice it either as a restraint on the flesh to preserve it from licentiousness, or as a preparation for prayers and pious meditations, or as a testimony of our humiliation in the presence of God when we are desirous of confessing our guilt before Him. So that's John Calvin of the 16th century talking about the, the importance of prayer and fasting and why we pray and fast. Martin Luther had this to say about fasting. A fasting, I say this, it is right to fast frequently in order to subdue and control the body for when the stomach is full, the body does not serve for preaching, for praying or studying or for doing anything else that is good. Under such circumstances, God's word cannot remain. But one should not fast with a view to meriting something by it as by a good work. And so now fasting is not a good work that God rewards. We're not earning points. Fasting does not make you any more spiritual than anybody else. For we are all loved by God and accepted by faith in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, But we can uh, just increase our intensity of seeking the Lord by by adding fasting to our prayers, and I trust that you've been doing this. And our four areas of, of emphasis during these 21 days is we're fasting and praying for our nation. We're fasting and praying for our church, we're fasting and praying for families, and we're fasting and praying for individuals or for ourselves to find God. And so at our prayer meetings, we pray in these four areas, and we have a prayer box here, and uh, if you feel so led while I'm preaching, if you'd like to come up and uh, grab a prayer card and write down a prayer request and place it in there, during our prayer meetings, we pray over These prayer requests, we're not taking them out because they're very personal, maybe private in nature, but uh, during our prayer meetings, we just uh, lay hands on that box and uh, just intercede for all those requests that God will hear us from heaven. Amen, church? That God will hear us from heaven. Praise the Lord. Fasting and prayer puts you in a possible, the best possible position for a breakthrough. A breakthrough. What do I mean by a breakthrough? It's the Lord breaking through into your life. Every person I know needs a breakthrough in some area of his or her life. You may need a breakthrough in understanding a situation, a breakthrough in answer to a problem, a breakthrough idea, a breakthrough in financial provision, or a breakthrough in health. Fasting and prayer breaks the yoke of bondage and brings about a release of God's presence, power, and provision. That's a quote from Marilyn Hickey, which she wrote a great, great book on fasting. I highly recommend it. Breakthrough. Boy, sometimes we need breakthroughs, don't we? Breakthrough. God, break through this situation. Lord, break through this bad health. Lord, break through this stronghold in my life. Bring your salvation. Bring your deliverance into my life. Jesus, and that's who we're going to be talking about today, his teachings on prayer and fasting. Jesus both taught on prayer and fasting. Jesus modeled prayer and fasting. He was the example, and uh, the example of him modeling it is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. We know that when he began his public ministry, he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, Not because he needed to repent of his sins, because John the Baptist baptism was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus did not need to repent. But he wanted to inaugurate his ministry by setting that example uh, for us as followers of Jesus that we are to follow the Lord in the waters of baptism, but also baptism is a picture of death and resurrection. You go under, and then you're brought up, and he's foreshadowing his death and resurrection in that water baptism, and we know that when he was baptized, a wonderful thing happened. God spoke from heaven, this is my Beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love that. And the scripture says the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and remained on him. In other words, he was anointed by the spirit of God. The father gave him such such encouraging words. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love those words. I want you to know as sons and daughters, God speaks those words over our hearts as well. Because we're in Christ. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. We must know and understand and perceive how much God loves us and that he is pleased with us. So he began his public ministry and immediately was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It says in Luke 4, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. Forty days, no food. The Scripture says he became hungry And you might be saying, well, it can't be God if I'm getting hungry on this fast. Well, it is God. It is an affliction of the soul. I remember years and years ago, a lady talked to me. She said, Pastor, I don't think my fast is led of the Lord. You're calling this fast, so I don't think it's led of the Lord. I said, well, why don't you think you're being led of the Lord? She says, because I'm hungry. She was thinking that if God was in it, he would give her such prevailing grace that she wouldn't have any hunger pains. Well, Jesus You would too if you didn't eat anything for 40 days. Am I right about that? And that's part of the the discipline. It's part of the passion. It's part of the sacrifice. You're going without fruit so that your spiritual hunger increases. That makes sense? And you're bringing your body in submission to the Spirit of God, and the Lord will honor that. And that's what happened with Jesus. The Lord honored that. But he models. Some say that Jesus never fasted. He did fast, and he is that example for us, but he also taught on prayer and fasting, and this is from the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Moreover, when you fast, notice it doesn't say if you fast. But when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to, be, to men to be fasting, but to your Father, who is in the secret place. What's the secret? That's the secret place of prayer. You go into your closet, or you 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 draw aside to the Lord, and it's a secret place. This between you and God. He's in that secret place. But, uh, the, but your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what did Jesus teach about prayer and fasting? And that's what I want to share this morning. His teachings on prayer and fasting. It's important to us. We already talked about how he modeled it. He fasted for 40 days and became strengthened and overcame temptation and returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of your fast, you're going to be strengthened. You're going to overcome temptations in your life, and you're going to have an increased power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's that's what we want. Am I right? That's what we want. Well, in this teaching, Jesus teaches us that your motive matters to God. Your motive matters to God in prayer and fasting. He says, Do not be like the hypocrites. He's talking about the religious leaders who, when they fasted, they wanted everybody to know that they were fasting. They conducted themselves in such a way that people would know that they were sacrificing food. Look how religious we are. The scripture says they did it to be seen of men. They have their reward. Well, it wasn't a reward from God. Their motive was, I want men to think well of me. I want men to honor me. I want men to think I'm religious. I want the praise of men. And Jesus said, well, that's what you got. So that's your reward. So you wanted praise of men. You wanted recognition from man. You wanted them to think you're spiritual. Well, they did. And so that's your reward. No, this reward was not from God. It wasn't an answered prayer. It wasn't more of God. It's just simply the motive behind it is what they got. And they have their reward. And that's about as shallow as you can get. God looks at the heart That men look on the outward appearance. So Jesus teaches us how your motive matters to God. The question why always goes to the heart of motive. You should fast out of a love for God, a desire for more of Jesus. And because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, God has led you into this. Listen, none of us are commanded to fast in the New Testament. This is something that we do willingly because God is speaking to us it's a devotion or a consecration to God we're taking it up to the next level now in the Old Testament they had times when they were according to the law commanded to fast on the day of atonement but in the New Testament we're not under no obligation in the sense of a commandment of God that we must fast during this time or this season or around this religious observance but it's something that we do as God's people we feel like God is speaking to us internally and there Therefore, we respond to that and devote this to the Lord. The why determines how long. Why are you fasting and praying? I am fasting and praying so that I might trust God more, love God more, and seek God more in 2023. I want God to answer those requests. Those are like my New Year's resolution, to trust God more, to love God more, to seek God more. And if I can start out seeking God more, it will set me up. Throughout 2023, my heart set on God, God doing an internal work, and I tell you what, many times we fast, oh, Lord, touch this area, touch this area, deal with this, deal with this, and the Lord hears that, and he does, but a lot of times, he then goes over here and starts dealing with this and that, and, and areas that you weren't even aware of. It's good to always, always just make yourself open and available to whatever the Spirit of God would do. Amen, church? So Jesus says, your motive is so important to God. The motive that endures, the motive that lasts, the motive that is pleasing is always the motive out of love to the glory of God. Out of love to the glory of God. Jesus also taught this, you will be heard by God and rewarded by God when you fast. Now the reward is not the reward like we would think because of the good work, the reward is always the gifts of God, the answers prayer, always flows from the grace of God, all right? The Bible says in verse 16, your father who sees in secret, that's when you're praying in your heart, when you draw aside, when nobody even knows. Now, I know this is, this is corporate prayer and fasting, but you can still, as unto the Lord, be doing it strictly before God, right? Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, What does he reward you with? Listen, church, always, always, always what God told Abraham, I am your shield and exceeding great reward. That is the greatest reward. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know, I, I'm praying for my family, and and I'm praying for for my health, and I, I'm praying for financial provision, or I'm I'm praying uh, that for, for for a new job or a promotion, or you know, we have all, and they're good. They're good. They're good things to pray about. Not no nothing wrong with that. But I want to know the greatest reward. Always the greatest reward is finding. Jesus, more of Jesus. Well, you know, I was praying for a, a financial miracle, and uh, but I, I found the Lord. I, I see Him more. Uh, than I've ever seen him. He's more alive in my heart. Uh, my, my heart has just enlarged with a greater love, and I'm just so much more in love with Jesus. Well, what about that financial problem? Well, yes, okay, but man, I, I have found Jesus. He's always the greatest reward, always the greatest reward. He will reward you openly, hmm. Isaiah 58 verse 8 talks about God's chosen fast. And when you fast in a right manner before the Lord, meaning with the right motive, remember the right motive is always loving your heart. To the glory of God. That's always the right motive. Isaiah 58, verse 8 says this, Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. There's four great promises given by God that if you fast and pray with the right heart, then He's going to answer, and He answers in these four ways. This is out of Isaiah 58, verse 8. Your light shall break forth. Man, light shall break forth. My wife and I, we were driving into church today and looking out to the east. Boy, I don't know if you saw that sunrise today and that red, just beautiful, beautiful light breaking forth. In other words, it's dark. And all of a sudden, there's light. This speaks of salvation. This speaks of the turning of the corner. This speaks of a new day, a new dawn, a new beginning, right? And many times when we fast and pray, God brings something brand new, and the darkness that you're in, all of a sudden, his light shines and now it's daytime, which means there is salvation and deliverance. He also talks about how your healing shall spring forth. And the New Living Translation says, your wounds will heal quickly. Healing. Healing. Maybe you're fasting for healing. You have a disease, a sickness. Talking about physical. It can be emotional as well. We understand this. And the scripture says, fasting brings about a reward of healing. Healing. Your righteousness shall go before you. I love this. Maybe you're fasting and praying because you lack some practical righteousness in your life. You're bound to a sin. You keep failing in that habit. You don't walk as close to the Lord as you know you should. You struggle in this area and you're fasting and praying for God to break the yoke To bring about a deliverance to set you free from the power of that sin in that particular area. And I want you to know that when you fast, God can make sure that righteousness comes into your life. And then it starts going before you. I mean he he has he has delivered you, set you free you 're walking a new obedience and a new victory, and the 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 goodness of God, the holiness of God is there, and you're now walking at a new level, a new level hallelujah right and then I love this, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. That's taken out of the Old Testament when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and they're crossing that Red Sea. And the scripture said uh, that the chariots were coming up behind them and then God wanted to part the sea. And all night long, that strong wind blew and started parting the waters. And the children of Israel were camped there. It wasn't quite ready to cross over yet because God's parting the waters. And all night long, the glory of the Lord stood between between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So the Egyptians could not press in upon them and defeat them. God's glory had their back. He had his people's back. God's got your six o'clock, right? He's got your back. He's protecting you. Somebody say amen to that. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Yes, you got somebody protecting you from the enemy. If you've been fasting, oh, God, well, I need some deliverance from, it uh, just seems like the devil is after my family. Well, I want you to know, he might be pursuing you, but God's got your back, and now what's pursuing you? Goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. So your motive matters to God. You'll be heard by God and rewarded by God when you fast and pray. Now, he teaches us about fasting and praying in another passage of Scripture in Luke's gospel, verses 33 to 39. We just want to learn about what Jesus had to say about fasting and praying. Then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often? Now, this is John the Baptist, and make prayers, and likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom was with them? So Jesus is basically saying, I am here. You fast and pray to seek the Lord, to find the Lord for more of Jesus. But when Jesus was on this earth, his disciples, they didn't need to fast fast and pray for the Messiah to come, for the Lord to appear. He was right there. It's like a wedding day. I don't know of any bride or groom that's ever fasted on their wedding day. Matter of fact, you got the rehearsal dinner. It's always this feast. Everybody's celebrating when Jesus was on this earth. The disciples are celebrating. It's not a time to fast and pray, right? Can you make the, fa- the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come. That's our time. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and he has ascended into heaven, then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the place that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts a new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskin and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, Immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So some problems there that prayer and fasting really solves. The new one represents the new covenant with the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. New wineskins, that's us, represent the brand new believer in Christ or the renewed believer. Jesus' point is clear. You can't fit his new life into the old forms. This explains why Jesus did not begin a reform movement with Judaism, working with the rabbinical schools and such. Jesus says, I haven't come to patch up your old practices. I come with a whole new set of clothes. I remember when I was, as as a boy, I'd have those jeans, and I don't know, I must have always been on my knees playing, and they'd always get holes in my jeans, my mom would never buy me new jeans. She'd always get these patches, and they'd be huge patches. And my jeans would be all, uh, you know, faded and worn out because, you know, you wear them, you wash them. But these patches, were they were dark, navy blue and stiff, and she'd just sew them on. It didn't match, and where she sewed would begin to tear away. I hated those things because they looked so nerdy geeky and they weren't they were stiff and they didn't match and that's basically you can't apply new life new covenant of christ into the old systems of the law you just can't patch it we we have to apply jesus to a new way the way of grace right I haven't come to patch up your old practices. I come with a whole new set of clothes. Jesus reminds us that what is old and stagnant often cannot be renewed or reformed. God would often look for new vessels to contain his new work until those vessels eventually make themselves unusable. Listen to this God will often look for new vessels to contain his new work. New vessels. Well, I'm a vessel. I'm not so sure I'm brand new, having walked with God since 1976, but I'm a a vessel. But the Bible says that this vessel can be renewed for a new work, a new outpouring, something new in Christ. I love that, don't you? New wineskins are pliable, bendable, and stretchable. New wineskins will expand and enlarge. And so you got an old wineskin, it's already been stretched out. Then you put new wine into that old wineskin. That old wineskin no longer stretches, no longer grows, no longer expands. And so you put new wine in there and the fermentation process takes place and it needs to expand, expand. But that old wineskin can't stretch or grow anymore. It's all used up and it breaks. It breaks. So you put a new wine in new wineskin. That new wineskin can grow, enlarge, expand, stretch with that new wine. Well... God's poured into me many times, and I need to be able to contain what God is doing. And the only way I can contain what God is doing is if I'm being renewed, if I'm being stretchable and pliable and expandable. And the only way that I could do that is to give myself to prayer and fasting and say, Lord, Lord, do a new work in me. Go, God, work in me. Help me to be that man of God you want me to be. Jensen Franklin has this to say about this passage of Scripture. But if he is going to pour out new wine, our wineskins will have to change. I've never seen the connection between fasting and the new wine before. Jesus had just finished telling the Pharisees that the disciples would fast once he was gone. Fasting and prayer is what prepares you for a new authority. If you want a new wine, new miracles, new closeness with him, then it's time to call fast. It's time to call fast and to shed that old skin for the new. Yes, Lord. Do something new. I want something new. I want to be open To anything and everything that you would do in my life, in my family, in my church. You don't have to do it like you've done it before. You can do a new thing. The passage of Scripture says when people drink of the new, they say instinctively, the old wine is better. What does that mean? It means that we develop taste for what has been, what we're used to. And we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to miss the blessedness of the new. God's new direction his voice, his move, how he chooses to do things. It's so important for us to fast and pray so that we might be pliable, enlargeable, expendable, stretchable, always growing, willing to take that risk. I believe God can do that in me, in you, in us. Some may give me a witness. Hallelujah. So Jesus teaches us that new wine must be put in new wine skins. I'm going to close with this. Jesus led the example on how to pray and fast, obviously. He taught us on it. Very last days on this earth, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, "Sit here while I go and pray over there." And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, let me say this. Meet God where you are at, not where you want to be. That's important, right? Meet God where you're at, not where you want to be. It's always important to be honest, to be transparent, to be who you are, not who you wished you were, or don't posture yourself into something you're not. When you go into your prayer closet, when you go to seek the Lord, when you go to worship God, you worship God at the level that you're at right there. You don't have to put on an act or pretend to be God's man of faith and power. You can come to God at the level that you're at, knowing that God will meet with you there and grow you to another level. The first thing I see in this passage of Scripture is tell God your feelings and be honest with the Lord when you pray. Jesus, when he was praying at Gethsemane, says this, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Oh, don't confess that. No, do confess that. Do confess that. Be honest. Be transparent. Man, if you're fearful when you pray, tell the Lord, God, I'm afraid. If you're angry, oh, Lord, I am so mad at him Lord, I'm mad at you. Why do you need to do that? Well, it's important for you to understand that God knows your heart better than you know yourself. He sees it all right there anyway. But it's at the point of honesty and transparency as we confess that, that's the place where God then can move in our behalf. Tell God your feelings. If you want to know how to express your feelings, read the book of Psalms. They weren't all high times of praise and declarations of faith. There's some low times in the book of Psalms. Oh, Lord, where are you? I don't feel you. In my distress, I called on you. Oh, Lord, I'm afraid. Nothing wrong with that. I encourage honesty in your prayer life. Tell God your feelings. It's then, as you confess it, he then can deal with your feelings and bring you about a healthy emotion. The second thing I say here is tell God your desires. Oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to drink that cup of suffering. He actually prayed, Lord, to his heavenly Father, Lord, if it's possible, can there be another another plan? Tell God your desires. Maybe those desires, you're wishing that things were different. It's okay. Jesus brought that before the Lord. He brought that before the Lord. What are your desires? Maybe your desires aren't in the purest form. Maybe you're struggling with what you want rather than, oh, Lord, all I want is you. Now we want to get to that place, but maybe you got some strong desires. Tell God those desires. But Jesus didn't just tell God his feelings, nor did he just tell God his desires. He told his heavenly father that he trusted him. When he prayed this, not as I will, but as you will. Trust God. Give God your trust. Give God your surrender. Oh, Lord, I, 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 want, I want the plan to be this. This is my desire that you do this, that you answer this way. Lord, I don't want it to be this way. Nevertheless, I trust you. I give it to you. I surrender to your plan, to your schedule, to how you want to see it done. I just give it all to you, and I trust you. And, you know, that type of prayer led to him being obedient even to the death of the cross. And that's really where we need to get to, right, is when we Give God our trust, our surrender, our commitment into his plan is that then we are strengthened and empowered to do the will of our Heavenly Father, and that's where we all need to get to. Jesus taught us how to pray during the fast. Tell God your feelings, tell God your desires, and give God your trust. Do that during your 21 days of prayer and fasting. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord today. Jesus taught us that our motives matter when we fast and pray. Remember, our two motives is out of love for God to the glory of God. He says he will reward us when we fast. The greatest reward is the Lord himself, more of Jesus. Jesus taught us that new wine must be put into new wineskins, Oh, pray that you could be that new wineskin. Oh Lord, stretch me. Oh Lord, grow me. Oh Lord, enlarge me. That that new wine, the fresh move of your Holy Spirit, that you can pour it into me, that I can receive it. And as you pray, tell God your desires. Tell God your feelings. Give God your trust. These are the teachings of Jesus for us. He modeled it, he taught it. Listen, we are wise if we if we follow the example of Jesus. Am I right about that, church? Oh, to be more like Jesus. My friend, if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ and you want to become a Christian today, you're at church and you know it's time to become a Christian. It's time to become a Christian to turn your life over to Jesus. I'm going to be saying a prayer, and I'd like to include you in that prayer, a prayer of commitment to Christ, of becoming a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you want to be included in that prayer, just raise your hand. A prayer for Jesus to give your heart to Christ. Just lift up your hand here in the sanctuary. All right, praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. New wine into new wineskins. This is going to be an altar call. I know we already made an altar, but this is another altar call. We're just trying to press in. And if you would say, Pastor... I just feel the Holy Spirit wants me to be that new wineskin, to always be growing, stretching for the new move of God, and not always just be saying the old wine is better. What God did in the past was better. What, how God moved in my life was better. Oh, Lord, the new wine, that's your work, Lord. And that means the best has come. Because it's your present work. If you need to be that new wineskin, you want to be that new wineskin, why don't you come forward and and just open up your heart and say, Grow me. Stretch me. Enlarge me. Your will be done in me. Pour out your Spirit upon me, Lord. Pour out your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I want to be that new wineskin for that new wine.